the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. The path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we have to have. Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome back to We Get Real AF, everyone. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Please remember to subscribe to the show and give us some love on social media. This week, we're covering a stimulating topic that's sure to pique everyone's interest, sex. Sex is one of the most primal phenomenon across species. It's often described as hot and exciting, and in the same breath, it's also regarded as taboo. However, it's much more complex than that. Some associate it with pleasure while others don't, and gender disparities have socially conditioned us to exclude women from sexual health conversations, but have made it acceptable to sexually objectify women across media and marketing. Here to set the record straight on all things sexy is Bryony Cole. Bryony is regarded as the world's leading authority on sex tech and is the creator and host of the Future of Sex podcast, founder of Sex Tech School, and Love Honey's resident sex tech advisor. So without further delay, let's talk about sex, baby. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. That was a lot of sex. There was a lot Lots of sex. Of sex. In there. That was a lot of sex in the first 60 seconds of the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to have a conversation with you guys about sex and technology. We're so, so excited. It's going to be a fun episode. Uh-huh. Where can our listeners follow and connect with you online, Briny? Oh, just look up sex tech and you'll find me. But um, yeah, if you want to follow follow along, the podcast is Future of Sex. It's also the same name on Instagram. And then Sex Tech School is a new venture for anyone who's listening after this that wants to join or has an idea for a business, look at sextechschool.com. Yes. And just say Sex Tech School like three times in a row. Let's start by kind of saying or explaining what sex tech is and what it is not. Yeah, I think so many people, you know, it's the first time hearing sex tech and they're thinking, what are you talking about, sex tech? And a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think it must be robots, sex robots or VR porn or something really far out there and sophisticated, which I'm here to tell you, I also thought that was what sex tech was and it is. In fairness, that's part of sex tech is, you know, robots and exploring artificial intelligence and what all these technologies can do for our sexuality. But sex tech is also 
everyday things, you know, that we use or incorporate for our sexual health, whether that's, you know, going for checkups or STI prevention, sex education, how might we use technology to deliver better sex education? Of course, pleasure and orgasms too fall in the sex tech category. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but how do we use technology for things like sexual assault prevention and human trafficking? So, Sex tech really encompasses this huge range of, um, you know, technologies in the bucket of sexuality. And sexuality is so much more than just an orgasm, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it is like the things we learn in school about sex. It is our identity and how we move in the world, our sexual expression. There's, there's so much. It's almost infinite, I think, when we think about sex tech in that way. Is it still a taboo area of technology? Is it difficult to illuminate all these different areas of sexuality and sex tech in the in the industry? Oh my gosh, yes. I think it's it's difficult everywhere to talk about sex still in the world. You know, maybe Amsterdam or something is the exception, but because it's culturally or socially such a awkward, uncomfortable conversation still, that does translate to business, especially in the tech world where we see it's, you know, it is pretty uh, pretty straight and um, in all senses of the word and, and pretty sort of uh, not risque, you know. So, so it is really difficult to understand where sex tech might be incorporated and the challenges in that tech industry is, you know, how do we raise money like other tech industries do, like fintech or edtech, even femtech. Um, So there's all sorts of challenges because we're still talking about this taboo topic that mean that in the tech industry, even itself, it's, it's hard to sort of talk about it. Yeah. So let's kind of dig deeper into that because you're a female talking about sex and educating <laughs> about sex tech. So kind of dig into that a little bit and unpack that sure. for us. How is it being the the woman in the room talking about these things? Yeah, I think everyone that comes to sex tech, I don't know, I always say these puns that I don't even intend to, but everyone that, you know, ends up in sex tech field probably has a personal story to tell because being there is so difficult. You know, sex tech is part of a tech industry that is traditionally male dominated, that is pretty white, that's cis, that's hetero. And so why would you end up in an industry that's probably the hardest one of the sex tech industry? And that's often that's women that end up in sex tech and often end up innovating. If we think about the really innovative products in sex tech that exist today um, that are even for female pleasure, the probably your favourite vibrators if you have one or a toy that you think looks really interesting was probably designed by a woman, um, especially if it doesn't look phallic and it looks like something that could sit on a coffee table quite comfortably or in a, you know, a museum gallery. Um, the pieces that come out today are so beautiful and often designed designed by women based with their personal experience with sex, whether that was terrible sex education, perhaps it was some sort of trauma, a bad relationship, thinking something that was was wrong with them, which is often what women are told, you know, if, if the, you know, you don't fit a certain box, whether that's a body type or a sexuality, there's something wrong with you. And so, you know, you have this band of misfits and people that are willing to take risks that often end up in sex tech because they're just so fed up with uh, the status quo and how things are going. And they're like, we've got to change this um, and start designing products and services around that. So I'm going to stop there because that's I've just gone in five different directions, I feel like. 
And all of them are so fascinating, but I'm curious to know, is it changing? Is it gradually mm. becoming easier to pitch new products, to talk about these things, to go to conferences with your latest sex technology and have people actually show up in the room and, and ask questions? I mean, is it getting easier out there? Well, I think there's two things there. It's easier for me personally um, and anyone that wants to become a sex tech entrepreneur and goes, well, how am I going to talk about sex publicly? It's easy for me personally after obtaining all that experience of explaining to rooms and rooms of dudes about, you know, the orgasm gap or female orgasm. There's a certain number of times that you hit talking about sex, sex, you're like, okay, I'm comfortable doing this or even telling my parents about this now. And then I think as a society, we've also changed so much in a relatively short amount of time. I don't know if either of you saw the Britney documentary recently, which goes through her conservatorship, Britney Spears and her conservatorship. But what stood out for me is how much the culture has changed around talking about women and their sexuality, even since I was growing up as a young girl, as a teenager watching Britney Spears, I watched this documentary and I looked back and I thought, oh, my gosh, here's these women that are um, being, you know, they're young girls and everyone's obsessed with their virginity, you know, as this phase of like pop stars and we were all obsessed with if they were pure or not, if they'd had sex or not now and, you know, we fast forward to today and that's certainly not the conversation we're having about women. So there's things that have changed in that, but also, um, you know, we've had sex in the city since then in the 90s. We've had uh, movies like Fifty Shades of Grey or books, you know, and whether you love it or hate it, those sorts of media moments have introduced sexuality and women's pleasure in different ways and opened up a dialogue, which has been great. Now, a lot of the time when those shows like Sex and the City present women and their sexuality or masturbating, it's often in a funny way or hilarious or strange way instead of sort of like this is normal and amazing. I think um, things like the Me Too movement as well and, you know, how social media has been such a vehicle for talking about tough conversations around assault and crime and violence prevention and women's, you know, positions in society. So, so many things have changed and continue to, which is great because the conversation about technology is a lot faster than, and changing a lot faster and innovating a lot faster than certainly our conversations that we have around sexuality. It looks like, you know, at a snail's pace when we compare it to how fast technology has innovated. But I'm positive and hopeful and optimistic that we're going to continue to, to talk about it in a more empowering way. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about the men in the room listening to to women now, whether that be you or the mm. women that are designing um, sex products for women because they because of their personal experiences, is it still the stigma of like the dude thinks that he's just the man, um, or are they really listening? I think on a professional level, it has, and the reason being is that COVID has propelled so many businesses in this domain to be extremely profitable. You know, as everyone's been in lockdown, what we've seen with numbers, whether that's toys, dating apps, or online entertainment, like adult entertainment, these industries have exploded by 700 to 800%. The industry of sex tech is now, you know, 
hurling towards this valuation of almost $125 billion um, from, you know, a couple of years ago I was talking about it being $30 billion in 2020 and now we're talking about $125 billion in the next five years. So that's going to make people sit up and listen, the men in the room, Mm -hmm. whether or not they understand the experience of vulva owners and what they experience, whether that's, you know, painful sex or difference in orgasm, I'm not really sure. I think it varies depending on um, the type of person that they are and the type of relationship and what they're experiencing. But certainly on a professional level, the numbers are starting to get really attractive and something that you can't ignore. What's interesting to me, just to add one more thing, I think when we go back to the cultural conversation, we think about these shows and how they've opened up a dialogue around sexuality and, and helped us talk about you know, sex to even our partners or our friends in a different way today than 10 years ago, is that a lot of that has been propelled by women and is around women or non-binary people. The discussions around men's sexuality have been a lot slower. You know, we don't see men on Instagram spruiking male masturbators yet. You know, there hasn't really been that movement that um, celebrates male sexuality especially male heterosexuality, outside these two categories, which really are at opposite ends. One for men when we think about heterosexuality is like porn and, um, you know, adult content and that side. And then the other tendency is to clinicise issues. If you're having issues in the bedroom, you've got a clinical problem, whether that's premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. There's not really that range that... Um, everyone else has, which which goes into everything. I think that makes our sexuality so great is like the nuance and the the opportunities and the pleasure and the ways that we navigate the world or educate ourselves in relationships. So that's pretty stark. I think just turning the lens on on the penis owners for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think it's true that both sexes have a lot of work to do to break out of the taboos. We each have our own stereotypes and taboos that we deal with. Mm -hmm. I would be curious to know what are some of the advances or new developments or gadgets or devices or just really clever things that that you're seeing come out of the sex tech industry that you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, out of COVID, obviously, there's so many different things um, that were unexpected in terms of, you know, being in your house and not being able to be in contact and in touch with your partner, right? So big part of sexuality and intimacy in relationships is touch, obviously, but then thinking about um, emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, so spiritual intimacy, shared activities, all these things that we kind of ignored because physical access was so available to to us, um, when we all got locked inside, we realized, oh my gosh, this is this is like seventy five percent of the relationship that is also what I crave um, beyond just touching someone's skin. So I think humans are so smart, right? We innovate around technologies, we hack technologies in different ways, and certainly video chat ha- is one of those things that now is a feature in all our lives, is a feature in all dating apps, and is not going away. Um, but interesting, other things that happened with couples are certainly the rise of um, technology to replicate touch, replicate a sense of touch like haptic technologies. So teledildonics, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, internet-connected sex toys um, or Wi-Fi-enabled, Bluetooth-enabled, there was a rise in them, you know, and, and using your app to connect to someone else across 
the world and connect to their toy. Um, so that's been interesting. And then there's a whole fun sort of range under that uh, beyond just toys is thinking about, well, how do I transfer a kiss to someone who's not in the same room, country, um, side of the world as me. And so we had things like the Kissinger, which was developed a few years ago, but is basically an attachment that goes on your phone if you can Google it. And it, it's a set of lips that's fitted with sensors and you would kiss it um, on the front of your phone and it would transfer that kiss to someone else that had the Kissinger uh, on their phone. Um, we had haptic pillows, which is these heartbeat transmitters that you could wear like a bracelet and transmit the the sound of your heartbeat to someone else um, underneath your pillow to, to help you go to sleep. And then there's just, you know, these sorts of things start to get really futuristic and far out. But I think for the everyday person, you know, trying sex toys for the first time, it was either a first purchase or perhaps a second purchase of something more adventurous. Love Honey did a study around couples during COVID and found that 54% of couples were actually being more sexually adventurous. So they were trying different things, whether that was a different room or somewhere, um, some sort of different toy. But also because people were using sex tech so much, it was getting worn out, you know. <laughs> so things like charging um, and batteries and how we charge toys has evolved and grown pretty quickly and now become a focus of innovation is how do we charge toys better? How do we create charging pads, which you'd be familiar with if you, you, you you know, got a charging pad for your smartphone, but imagine doing that for a sex toy. And so you don't have to plug it into the wall or your computer, which can be quite awkward, but you would have that charging pad above your bedside table and you would put the toys in, in the drawer underneath. Um, sound as well has been a really big focus for sex tech innovation. Silencing technology if you're living with housemates or perhaps you're living back with your parents is also another focus that um, I know Love Honey are doubling down on is how do we make quieter toys without um, losing the motor. And these sorts of things that we know in technology and other parts of our lives are now a big focus in how do we improve the sex tech in our bedrooms. So interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I read that about the the auditory portion of that. And uh, we're in the age of audio in general right now. But yeah, right. Um, but hearing, you know, obviously that gives the cats out of the bag what you're doing in that room if you want privacy and you're living with someone else. So I did read about that and I'm glad you touched on it. <laughs> Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, InPhase.biz. Thanks for listening. I'd love to get into the trauma-informed tech. Mm -hmm. um, let's unpack that a little bit because I think that there's a lot of progress there and things that we don't necessarily think of when we think of uh, sex tech or sexuality in general and how this is coming up. When I went to South Africa, one of the most interesting sex tech innovations I discovered there was a prototype for a female condom designed to prevent rape, um, which, you know, in a country like South Africa occurs once every 17 seconds, which is just a shocking statistic to think, again, a rape occurs once every 17 seconds. So how do we innovate around that and use technology to solve a social sexual issue in society? And so this rape axe was designed by a nurse that had seen so many sort of survivors of sexual assault come in 
And one of them had said, oh, if only I had razor blades up there. And so they designed this female condom. It's fitted with barbs and, the, you know, it's intended for vulva owners to wear when they're going out, maybe it's a blind date or a party um, to prevent rape. Now, if it happens that you are penetrated, the female condom with the barbs sticks onto the penis and isn't able to be removed unless you go to hospital. So that's an interesting innovation in sex tech in contrast to something like in America where on-campus sexual assault has been such a huge problem um, and in the last few years we've seen these cases be really high profile in the media. How do we improve this process of reporting sexual assault, which is actually pretty terrible right mm-hmm. now, you know, and, and actually puts a lot of survivors off even reporting their assault? And so, this um, program called Callisto was designed by a woman who basically has radically improved the process, streamlined it, made it really easy, provided educational resources, and also a database that links up, you know, if you identify someone that is an assault perpetrator, Mm -hmm. um, that they appear in this database and are linked up um, through different assault cases in case there's, you know, multiple cases and and taken to the police. So that, that sort of case, you know, in contrast to somewhere like, Japan, where the issue in Japan is so much sexual assault on the subway, particularly for high school girls. There's some crazy statistic of two-thirds of teenage girls on the subway have been, you know, flashed or assaulted in some way. And so in that culture, they've developed um, a stamp. It's a UV stamp. It was developed by a telecommunications company of all companies and, um, you know, intended to stamp and identify the, you know, perpetrator again. So different cases popping up in different cultures according to what's happening in those societies. Each of those societies, people are thinking of ways that they can use tech to stop what is a cross-cultural terrible problem. Yeah. Another thing that I read about um, that I thought was really interesting is the technology that turns your smartphone into a microscope for sperm testing. Talk about what that is, because I think that, you know, we're finding so many different ways that our smartphones can be used nowadays that we never thought about before. Right. Yeah, it is. It's amazing what our smartphones are doing, even in sexuality, right? So you mentioned the Yo sperm testing app, which essentially turns your smartphone into a microscope to measure the motility or the speed of your swimmers um, and the health, which, you know, male fertility, again, a really taboo of taboo topics. I think when we're talking about fertility, we're so, so much of that, you know, infertility treatments and the cause and the blame is the spotlight is on women, but actually how much of that is also partly to do with men. So that's a really neat innovation for men. There's also another one called by Marari Medical, which is designed to treat PE and it uses a device, they call it a Band-Aid for your taint, um, but it's it's actually like an electrostimulant device that you put down there and, and uh, I'm going to explain this really poorly because I'm no doctor, but it stimulates the nerves around that area and helps with that that area of male sexuality. So they're interesting. They're just available on your phone as well as Mend, which is a chat bot for, you know, if you're going through a heartbreak, how do you have someone that's almost like a, a, a therapist to help you check in, like when's the last time you texted your ex or sending you motivational quotes? It's like the best friend therapist in your smartphone. Then we have things like um, GhostBot. So if you're dating and experiencing harassment through, you know, dating platforms, 
ghost bot is an installation you can do that actually ghosts the unwanted uh, advances on your behalf so you no longer have to deal with those conversations and they manage you know the bot manages those conversations in a a nice way but you you know none of the emotional labor that so often women have to do on those platforms (laughs) is on you then um you know relationship tech I think is a is sort of a new and emerging field in that we have fairly um lover coral all these apps designed for sex therapy or sex sexual help in the bedroom and for relationships And the final one I'm going to mention, which is on your smartphone, um, is a great, I think for anyone that's that's looking at sexting, that's in a long distance relationship, that's finding sexting awkward, can practice with a bot and it's called Slutbot. And you practice your sexting style with Slutbot. The Slutbot can be uh, a guy or a woman. You could choose the gender of the Slutbot and you can choose how racy and raunchy you want it to be. But I think these sorts of Tools and bots are so interesting. We, they're things we haven't really thought of before that could be helpful and educational in our own just sexual educational life. Does does the bot give you feedback? Does it rate <laughs> make suggestions? I mean, that can, that can work both ways. Yeah, it can. It, it allows you. It, it, it sort of models consent. I would say. Okay. So it gives you some feedback and it keeps asking you questions. Which, as you go through the conversation, you can sort of understand. Okay, this is where it's like pushed too far for me too. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, boundaries is something I think women often don't learn who teaches us boundaries right so we have to start to discover those at least I did later on in life and how to enforce them so I think things like those sort of practice texting is really interesting and I know for you know prototypes that are built of in VR and around sex education they also do these games with young girls where they've noticed, well, girls have such trouble saying no. We're taught to be people pleasers. We're taught to be pleasing and say yes all the time. And so they did this um, This university, forgetting the, the name, but the university created this VR prototype where you would go through a nightclub and, you know, there would be a guy who would start to make advances towards you and it's a game where you can say no at any point and you eventually get back to his room in the university and you have to sort of accumulate points for when you advocate for yourself, which I think is a really neat way of helping people learn because it puts you in the experience without being in the experience. Absolutely. Safe space, safer mm-hmm. space anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just thinking about that bot, you know, it would be great material to repurpose later, the things that get you going. <laughs> so Honestly, <yeah>. I have. <laughs> I love that. And we'll link all of these things in the show notes for all of our listeners to take a peek at. Um, yeah, so those are fun and interesting, but we we're tying into now like your, the sex tech. So can we talk about your sex tech education, sex tech school, uh, piece of this, uh, the podcast here and, um, how we get around not making this not even taboo, but like that it's a health situation, right? So sex sex school is for anyone that's listening to this, that's going, wow, I've got an idea or, oh my gosh, 
I want to be involved in this industry. I'm sick of my job over here. How do I pivot and get involved in this exciting industry? And so I created it to help people like me that discovered sex tech and thought, my goodness, I'm sick of what I'm doing and I want to be involved in in the creation of this fairly new industry. Um, And we take you through the industry a lot more in depth and how to build brands in those spaces that are taboo and where the community is and how to sort of think through a business model that might work where you face numerous challenges, whether that's censorship and advertising, finding manufacturers, getting a prototype launched and getting this this idea that you have out in the world. So that's sex tech school. It's an amazing community because everyone has sort of gotten over the fact that sex tech, you know, you know you're going to giggle about it, is like a really transformational industry to be a part of. And you have that support from from day one to go through and think about, you know, how do I build my product or how do I build my name in this space to join a company? Do you have more men or women in sex tech school or is it about even? Nope, it's predominantly women. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do have some men, um, but I would say men make up 10%. Um, and then, you know, we have about 5% non-binary and the rest are women um, from all over the world, from Australia and the US, but also from Hong Kong and Brazil, um, from the UK, Germany, Austria, all over the world. And that's what's so exciting is that people have these fantastic ideas that I never would have thought of because I didn't grow up in that culture. So it's exciting to see how things start to grow and build in such a global community. So many of the women that we've interviewed who are founders talk about how difficult it is to pitch their company. And it might be a very safe space as far as what type of business it is. And they still have a hard time walking into a room full of typically Mm -hmm. men investors and trying to pitch their business. So I would think that sex tech school for any woman who's interested (laughs) in getting involved that industry, you know, that that would be not only super helpful from a business guidance standpoint, but also just from sort of a morale boost, because it's already the deck is kind of stacked against a lot of women when they pitch their ideas and go after funding. Oh, my gosh. I think the the biggest problem or challenge that most young women, whatever, most women face in this entrepreneurial field is imposter syndrome. We all think, what, who am I to be doing this? What am I doing here? And that's one of the biggest tools that we give you in sex tech school is like this is your thing and you're going to own it and you invented this and that has nothing to do with sex funnily enough but it's everything to do with that confidence and that journey that we all go on of going no I deserve to be here I deserve to be in the room and I deserve to have my voice heard yeah that's amazing so I, I I believe what sex tech school kind of was a product a byproduct of the Future of Sex podcast. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. So let's dig into the Future <laughs> yeah. of Sex podcast. The Future of Sex podcast is like the the easiest way to get started with sex tech. If you find this conversation fascinating and you're like, I want some more ideas to, you know, impress people at a dinner party. That's really where Future of Sex podcast, I think, has been handy. People tell me they listen to it while they're cleaning the house, while they were on the subway back in the pre-COVID days, all that sort of stuff. It's just like this exploration into these topics. It was really my foray into the field five years ago and and still goes where I find the most interesting people. And I think, well, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing about the future of relationships? Or how can we think about artificial intelligence and how it relates to the way we're going to love each other and have relationships? And I go out and find the most interesting people that I can see doing the most 
interesting research and interview them and cover different topics like that. There is a a series of episodes I did recently on um, a man that lives with five sex dolls. And on first sort of hearing that, you think, this is totally weird and creepy and, like, what's going on? There's something wrong with him. And what I really wanted to do was shine a light and say, well, hang on, let's peel back and think why is this happening and what sort of people would purchase sex dolls and what the behaviour is there beyond what we just immediately dismiss as weird and talk to not only him but um, a psychologist and an AI ethicist around like dolls to robots and really looked at like the research around who buys these dolls and found, sure, a lot of people buy them for sex, but there's also a lot of people that buy them to give them personalities for companionship because they've experienced some sort of trauma where they can't relate to humans because of all these other reasons that I think just brought a lot more empathy to my heart and mm-hmm. and understanding of that situation where before I think there's no way I want to even talk about that. And I think that's really important is with sexuality just sort of lighting up the space a bit more because the more we do that, the less scary it becomes, especially when we're talking about the future of sex, right? We can't dismiss this because the dolls are going to be robots. They're already existing. So let's have a really like rounded discussion around that and get different perspectives to understand it more instead of like burying our head in the sand. I love that you used the word empathy because I think a lot of times we do worry about um, technology taking that away from us and us becoming less human. Technology is evolving very quickly. AI is getting smarter. Robotics are becoming more sophisticated and advanced. And all these things are going to evolve in a good direction or a bad direction. But at the end of the day, to circle all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, Bryony, when you said technology is a tool, right? It's just a tool. And mm-hmm. it's up to us how that tool be used, whether it will be used to bring us more human connection or to substitute for human connection. Tell us like how, yeah, how'd you get into tech? How did, Hmm. you know, how did you get into sex tech? Like take us from the beginning. I had no idea this would be where I would land. But, you know, I I think that it's interesting because it has been so healing for me to be in this space as well as so obviously rewarding professionally to be in a niche space and to be right at what feels like the very beginning of a birth of an exciting time um, for sex tech. I think the reason that I got into it was was a lot to do with um, having a fairly average childhood, a wonderful childhood, but average in terms of like sex education. You know, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't so terrible, but it was probably average to everyone else that experienced, you know, going to an all-girls school and watching a black and white documentary that was, I think, animals mating and then getting a banana and having to put a condom on it. And that was it. Nothing about, you know, empathy, communication, listening, um, all the things that make sex great and relationships great. And so leaving that and developing early as a young girl, you know, physically, but obviously still being a girl mentally, there was a lot of questions and no answers and a lot of feelings and and no one to sort of figure them out with me. In particular, I think around men and my sexuality and developing early and thinking something was wrong with me or I had to be smaller or a certain body shape. Um, in Australia, when I was growing up, Kate Moss was very in and the whole heroin chic look was in and I was the opposite of heroin chic. I was like, I don't know, I wish I grew up with the Kardashians in a way, like I could have fitted into the whole curvy situation a lot easier. So I, I grew up with that sense that I had to be small 
not only physically, but also with my voice. And that that followed me all the way from university to the workplace in terms of just being smaller and not speaking up and, and not speaking up when things went wrong, which I think, again, very average sort of adult growing up story in puberty is, yes, unwanted sexual advances happened a lot. Um, did I know how to say no? No. By the time that I was introduced as a Barbie doll and I was, you know, working in a senior executive role at a big tech company, I was pretty frustrated because I thought, huh, what's, what, what's happening with sexuality and technology and what, what, what can go on there? And I was working on a Future of Nightlife project and, and interviewed all these technologists and one person was talking about creating a VR simulation where he would, you know, in the future not have to leave the house and could date people in VR, which kind of is eerily similar to where we're at now. But it was the catalyst for me to go, yes, this is an interesting thing. I'm going to interview people here and I'm going to start a podcast, which sounded very much like I was on the toilet because I used an iPhone in the beginning. I was Googling how to start a podcast. I had absolutely no idea. Um, But I started and the important thing is I kept going. I was able to then sort of branch out into public speaking and have the career off the back of that. But all that to say there was there was two sort of tangled threads there of like a personal story that got me to the place where I was like, I'm ready to change this and to have a voice. And there was nothing more empowering than talking about sexuality in my early 30s. And then, um, you know, professionally that that sort of seemed like a nice fit to use my background in technology in this way. I, th- I think a lot of women can resonate with what you said about the need, the, the, the pressure to feel smaller than we are, to have a small voice, to take up as little space as possible, to be people pleasers. And, you know, no matter what industry you're in, I think that's that's something that women struggle with. And so I think it's it's always helpful to hear how somebody else sort of grabbed that bull by the horns, you know, and just dealt with it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wish I dealt with it at 20, you know, and not at 32. I think that's what we all say and what I hope for my daughter when she comes into the world is to impart that is like just be loud you know go and fill up the air and the space and and don't be afraid of being big amen to that because that is so depending on who you are and what background you have and what gender you are it's not always welcome so mm-hmm. I think that that just adds to that I need to be this way I need to clam up mm-hmm. when it's so, like when I see a woman that stands up and has owned everything about herself um, has leaned into her insecurities I look up to that person so mm-hmm. much I think this has been a fantastic conversation and I am ready for the lightning round if you ladies are? I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. Bryony, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, a vet. Oh. Mm, Okay. Big animal lover. What three pieces of advice would you give your younger self? I would tell her, well, the first one is take up as much space as possible. I think keep curious, you know, young girls are so curious and don't ever lose that. Keep your curiosity because it will serve you so well. And then, you know, remember that virginity is a social construct. How do you define success? It's just freedom. Like success for me is total freedom to make up my day. Mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly there. 
What do you value and admire in others? Honesty, vulnerability, kindness. That's three three of the top ones. What resources do you wish existed for women in tech or looking to get into tech that don't currently exist for them? Money. <laughs> Financial resources, I think access to capital is, is skewed. And I think for women and other minority groups, like that is something that will help. Obviously, education goes a long way, but people need access to capital in order to build things. All right, I'm going to do a fun one. What celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? Oh, man. Oh. Oh, okay. I, I mean, can we just go with the best Meryl Streep? Uh, of, course, <laughs> of course. Yes. Hey, Meryl. We love Meryl. Yes. Yep. We're huge Meryl fans for sure. What is something about you that people would be surprised to know? Most people, when they know that I work on Future of Sex or Sex Tech, think I must be swinging from the chandeliers every night or be a sex worker. And I, I live a relatively introverted, calm life that doesn't include swinging from the chandeliers. <laughs> no shame if you do. Go get it. <laughs> Leave the shame at the door. All right. What myth about women in science and technology would you like to dispel? This is going to sound weird, but I think the first thing that comes to mind when people think, uh, this is like something that I see a lot in my social media world is that women that uh, work in science or technology especially are ugly. And that really irks me. It has nothing to do with your attractiveness level. And this is something I think that's born out of the social media community. But like science and technology, women are attractive, sexy, beautiful, empowered women. It's a weird thing to say, but it it comes up way too often and the focus on image and appearance that weirdly turns people off it. It's so interesting you to say that because I think that is born out of an old, old stereotype that you can be smart or you can be pretty, but you can't be both, yeah. which is so ridiculous. So ridiculous. Yep. And I would, ugly is a bad word in our house. Like that is mm-hmm. like not ugly and stupid. I cannot. I cannot with those two words. Yep. So I, I, I love that you said that. And it is. Everyone is beautiful in their own way. So, Bryony, how have you surprised yourself in your career journey? And it could be a strength that you did not know you had or a weakness maybe that you always worried about that you realized you shouldn't have worried about because it wasn't, wasn't a thing. Honestly, the biggest surprise is that I can get so much done. Like, I didn't know I could get so much done. And I think this speaks to the perfectionist in everyone that waits until things are beautiful until releasing them into the world. And it was so humbling to be new and a beginner in my 30s at podcasting and releasing things that sounded like I was on the toilet and sounded terrible and um, and realizing, no, if I just consistently release this and consistently make things, there was a freedom in that. Also, there was a freedom. No one knew why, what am I doing? And, and, and releasing that care about what people thought of me and it being perfect. Mm-hmm. And now today that that's, I mean, I just don't care about that. As we've seen, the lights have gone off in the house while we've been doing this is um, I can get so much more done. I'm like an excellent executor if it's messy. Go girl. And that's okay. 
I've been telling myself lately, my mantra is perfection is the enemy of progress. And you just have to not hold yourself to those impossible standards and just go get it done. And you'll feel so good about yourself. And it's such a confidence builder. All right. Fill in the blank. Blank like a girl. I mean, I had written down play like a girl because playfulness is so underrated. Like play, play like a child, really. That, that to me is something that I think we all lose as adults. And I'm just like, bring back playing like children, like, like you were a little girl. Bring that little girl out. We can all learn so much from children. I really believe that. Well, Bryony, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your Thank time, you. for your insights, and for just opening our eyes to things that we may not have associated with sex. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.